You're listening to the Boots About Business podcast. We share stories from military veterans that have transitioned to the world of business. On the show, you'll hear conversations with business leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs that all started their careers wearing boots in the service of the U.S. Armed Forces. This podcast is equal parts about sharing great stories, helping veterans, helping businesses, and fostering a greater understanding of the value veterans can bring to business. And welcome, everybody, to episode number nine of the Boots About Business podcast. I am your host, Frank Strong, and here with us today is Steve and Patty Shoemaker. Hello. They each served in the U.S. Army where they met and eventually married, and that partnership would extend beyond marriage. As the pair went on, went into business together and opened up a law firm. And today we're going to talk about that journey on the show and how their service to country has helped them to business. So, Steve and Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Okay, as true to form, we always get right down, right down to business and ask why you joined the service. Patty, we'll go with you first. We've had a lot of West Point grads on the show already. What made you want to go to West Point? You know, I don't have a, I don't have a big fancy story. I uh, grew up in Nebraska on a farm. I had 13 people in my graduating high school class. And frankly, I just wanted to get out of Dodge. Mm, interesting. That's a pretty good answer. Pretty good answer. It's truthful. Yeah, I like that. Is Steve your uh, Crimson Tide graduate? What yeah. caused you to... You know, it's, mine, mine's more complicated than that. I, uh, I always had positive uh, role models in my family that had been in the military, like my grandfather. And uh, I had came real close to enlisting in the Army uh, right out of high school, but then ended up uh, getting a track scholarship at the last minute. Ran for about a year uh, in college and realized that I was good, but I wasn't going to the Olympics and I switched over to a, an Army ROTC scholarship. And frankly, I had no visions of serving for very long, but I ran into some real positive role models in college and in my first assignment that kind of changed that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And then what was your job in the service? We'll start with you, Patty. What did you do? I was military intelligence. I was mostly at the tactical level, so Army divisions and lower, um, okay. working with combat commanders, which I, I enjoyed immensely. Yep. Awesome. And Steve? I was assigned to military intelligence, but I was actually loaned for my first four years to the infantry. So there was really no difference. I, I, I served as an infantry officer for about a little over four years. And I did that in Hawaii and in the Middle East. And then I uh, went to military intelligence um, and did the same sort of stuff Patty did. In fact, we met at Fort Hood. Mm-hmm. And then later I went into the JAG Corps. Now, what did the MI loan you to the infantry? How, do, how does that work? Well, that's a great question, Frank. The fact is that uh, military intelligence does not need a lot of lieutenants. It needs a lot more captains and majors on staffs, things like that. So it's not uncommon for military intelligence to take in a whole bunch of lieutenants right out of college, loan them out to other branches. Infantry is, is one of the main beneficiaries of that. And then they're returned to military intelligence when, they, when they're promoted to captain. So they do their time as lieutenants in other branches. It's really good because they get to experience other things in the military before they get into intelligence work. Yeah, you get your leadership training and then maybe even uh, you have a better appreciation for the the intel you're providing, the people that you're providing it to. Well, the latter is absolutely true at Europe. You get more leadership experience. That's why I'm hands down a better leader than my wife, Patty. (laughs) (laughs) If he does say so himself. I just did. (laughs) Friendly rivalry, friendly rivalry. That's right. So one question I always like to ask people about their day in uniform, we all have good, good and bad days. Mm-hmm. What was, we'll start with the worst, what was your worst day in uniform, Patty? My worst day in uniform was probably when we were deployed to Kuwait in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And it was my birthday as company commander and one of my soldiers was raped. Oh my gosh. That was probably my worst day. Yeah, that's a pretty bad day. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. 
That's tragic to hear that. Yeah. Steve, uh, I don't know. If I could beat that. Yeah, oh, yeah well, I don't, it's not a competition for sure. No, 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 no. You know, you often think of the worst day and then you, and you say it out loud or you think about it and then you're like, well, that was really a, a personal thing. You know, my, my personal worst day was probably my birthday in 1992 when I uh, failed a patrol at Ranger School. But that's kind of selfish and self-centered. The uh, Probably the worst day I experienced in the military was uh, Patty and I were together. The We lost one soldier when we were deployed. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, uh, what's his name? Chris Willoughby. He was a really nice guy. Everybody liked him. So it was, it was horrible to lose anybody, but then we, it was somebody that you actually really loved. Mm-hmm. He had a great personality. So it was a really sad day for everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing. It's amazing in doing this podcast to hear the, the wide variety of experiences that people mm-hmm. have had yeah. in service. And, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that the business community doesn't understand is that you're responsible for a soldier 24-7 when you're a leader in uniform. And mm-hmm. some of these things that are you probably wouldn't have to really deal with as a business leader. You have to deal with in uniform. Sure. Let's flip that around. Happier times. What was your best day? For me, it's hard to pinpoint one day. Um, and I think when I think about what were my some of my best days, and I think a lot of them were at Fort Hood when we mm-hmm. did a lot of different training exercises. But I was working with some really phenomenal people, both in combat arms and military intelligence. And I think about those days very fondly because it was just fun to work with some of these folks. Yeah, I can't pick one single best day. I mean, I could say the day I got promoted to captain was a great day, but the fact is that that was fleeting and, and not nearly as meaningful as as getting to work with some really, really neat people. Uh, and it's, it's hard to pinpoint a day. The day I met my wife at Fort Hood. <laughs> there you go. Boom. Easy. Right there. How about, how about the day that you came home from deployment in 2018 and our daughter hugged you and cried? <laughs> That's, that was a good day. That was also my last day in uniform. I finished 28 years in the military with an active duty deployment and came home, still in uniform, obviously came home at the airfield. Patty and Molly were there, big hugs, and I took off my uniform that day, and that was the last time I wore it. Yeah, that must have been mixed feelings then. You know, Patty said, you're really going to miss it. You're really going to miss it. No, I don't think so. Um, it was a thing I did in my life that I'm glad I did. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it over again and not do it. But I think it was a certain point in time, it was time to transition. So uh-huh. I don't experience the sadness that she predicted I would. And I think part of that, though, is we do, and I know we're going to talk about this later on, but we do work mm-hmm. with a lot of military, both family law and we do a lot of military law. So I think it really keeps us both engaged with the military. So we're still very close to the military and what we do now. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to change at the rest of my life. I don't think it'll change. So we'll continue to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you two meet? You mentioned it. Uh, we briefly. met at Anthony's Pizza Parlor across the street from Fort Hood headquarters. And, across the street uh, from Three Corps. Third Corps headquarters at Fort Hood in 1996, I think. You have to get that right, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right about then, yeah. One of my West Point classmates works for him. That's right. Mandy uh-huh. Moynihan. Nice lady. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> that made an introduction. And I was walking in to get some pizza at lunchtime, you know, and uh, she waved me over and I met Patty and uh, that was it. So we want to get to a little bit of the transition, and I think it's relevant to ask at this point, did you have any idea at that point in time when you guys met that you'd get married at some point and become the lawyers? Day I met her? Yeah, or thereabouts, you know, a year into it, however long. I can't, I, I'm not going to lie. I can't say that on that, that very day, I knew it was going to happen on that day. No, I can't say that. I don't think, I don't think Patty can either, but she might, but I don't think so. Um, I we, looked in his eyes and I knew he was the one. Oh, wow. Really? No, no. But uh, we, you know, you're busy 
uh, in the Army. You're single in the Army. You're busy. You're moving around a lot. And we dated off and on, I think. You know, she dated me for a while and get tired of me. And then, you know, then, you know, a couple months later, you know, she called me up or something like that. Is that how it, it went? It is true that it took us a few years to get it together. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, somehow you've made it work. So congratulations to you for that. What was the thought process when you transitioned? Who went first? I left the active duty army first. And, you know, I'd all my life wanted to be a military officer, a teacher, and a lawyer. Those were the th- three things from you know high school. I said, those are the things I want to do in life. So I, quite frankly, was I had gotten bored with the active duty army in the late 90s because it, it wasn't in the war yet. You know, I didn't know the future. I was, frankly, tired of training exercise after training exercise. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to try, you know, some different things. And, and law school was something that was always kind of out there in my mind. So I left active duty first. Patty still had, I think, another year or so before she could leave. Is that about right? Yeah, a year or two. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have, Patty, did you have aspirations to go to law school as well? Or what I was... I did not. I did not. In fact, I never... It never crossed my mind to be a lawyer. And really, I came off active duty right after 9-11. And Steve said to me, come on, sit, let's go to the guard. I'm in the guard. Let's come over to the guard. It'll be fun. The Georgia National Guard. No, that's right. It's the Georgia National Guard. Um, and I did. I, I specifically said, we can both be in the same military intelligence unit. We can take home $1,000 a month for one weekend. Easy, right? I was in law school. She was trying to get work outside of the military. And I said, we can easily make $1,000 a month for nothing, right? And that, don't, don't you that's, remember when I said that? That's yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what right. the, was the sale. And um, so I did. And so in, a year later, about, what, 16 months later, he and I were both mobilized and then deployed for um, yeah, but Patty's skipping something. She had gotten in the Georgia National Guard only, I think, a month or two. I'd been in there maybe six or eight months. And that's when 9-11 occurred, and the military was almost immediately stop-lost. Mm-hmm. So now we're in this unit. Now we can't get out. Mm-hmm. Okay, And we all knew that it was coming. And it came, I think, right after January of 2002 is when we started to get signs that we were going to be leaving soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then it was February 2003 that we... We got the mobilization orders. 2003, that's what I meant. Sorry mm-hmm. about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And then while while we were deployed, and to back up a little bit, when I left active duty, I um, actually got a job um, doing sales um, in the packaging industry. So I sold paperboard boxes. Um, they sold tomorrow's trash today. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the motto that they use? Right? And so while... <laughs> While we were deployed, I started thinking about, you know, what what was I going to do in the future? Because mm-hmm. I was in a very mature industry, not a lot of growth opportunity. Right. Um, and so I actually took the LSAT while we were deployed. I took it at the education center at Camp Doha. Yeah, but Kuwait. wasn't there a story about a soldier that you were advocating for that motivated you to want to become a lawyer? He had some sort of a... Uh, it was a USERA uh, issue. Yeah, an employment problem back when he was a teacher, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And didn't mm-hmm. wasn't that the turning point for you that made you decide you wanted to, yeah, to help me, people? Yeah, it made me start thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. So what is USERA, quickly, for those that might be listening that aren't familiar with it? It is um, it's an Employment Rights Act for service members. It's basically the federal law that says, like, if you're a service member and you get called up to active duty and you deploy, when you come back, that job still has to be there for you. 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot of exceptions and nuances, but overall, that's it. And yeah. so you were deployed with the Guard as a military intelligence officer, and one of your soldiers had an issue with an employer that was going to fire them or not reinstate them? or The issue was his position, and it's been a while, so I can't remember the exact details, but he was they weren't firing him, but they were eliminating his position. Uh-huh. And that's a gray area, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you won that case for him, as I recall. Uh, yeah. You tried hard, though. Right. Yeah made you mad and it motivated you because i remember us talking and you said i'm going to take the the law school admissions test i thought there was a provision and you don't want to turn this into a legal conversation but that if your position was eliminated they were still obligated to reinstate you with something of commensurate compensation and, and responsibility right and that's what they were looking at doing was they were going to mm-hmm. so they were going to move him into another position but it, as i recall and again this has all been you know 15 years ago mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a different position and, you know, drastically different than what he had been doing. It wasn't necessarily something that he wanted. I see. So you're deployed. You had started, Steve, you had started law school at this point. Yeah, I was already um, three semesters of law school. So I was halfway done. And then I was about five weeks into my fourth semester. And I lost those five weeks. I had to withdraw when I got when we got mobilized. And what happens? Does the school reimburse your tuition or what happens um, when that occurs? I, you know, looking back... 15, 16 years. I don't remember if they reimbursed my tuition. I didn't lose money. So if I paid it, I'm I'm sure that I got credit when I came back. But we were the very first wave of mobilized soldiers. I mean, we were there on the ground when the invasion of Iraq occurred. The only people that had gone before us were the ones that had gone to Afghanistan Mm -hmm. in 2001 and two. So the country was extremely patriotic and willing to help. I'm not saying that they weren't in the years that followed, but I think people were, they were much more enthusiastic. So, you know, our law school, Georgia State Law School, you know, was extremely helpful. They said, you know, you're going to have to drop out. We understand. And there'll be a spot when you come back. For me, for me, it was seamless. When I got back, they welcomed me with open arms. and There was no problem. And you finish your law degree and take the bar? I did. I did. I finished uh, off cycle, I guess you could say. I think I left in the middle of a spring semester and I returned to a fall semester. Mm -hmm. So I ended up finishing in December of 05. I graduated in a ceremony in May with the class behind me, but it didn't matter really. I was done. I was happy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Still happy, yeah. And we come back from deployment, Patty. Was your next move? You right. started thinking about law school at this point. Yeah. So at that point, I had so while I was deployed, I took the LSAT, applied, and got accepted to Georgia State in their part-time program. So when we came back from deployment in 2004, mm-hmm. I went back to work with my job, and then in that that fall, started law school part-time. Okay. So doing um, that nights and weekends. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So <laughs> then, so then, Steve finished in 05, December of 05, and yeah. I finished in December of 08. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then how did your firm come together now? You've had this firm for how many years? A while now. Uh, what happened initially is I went to law school to be a prosecutor. And I got a job in prosecution coming out of law school. And after about a year there, I wasn't really thrilled with it. Okay. Prosecution itself, I, I still like. And, and was probably open to moving to another county office. But I, Patty kind of suggested that, hey, you're probably not going to do that for very long, so why, why do it again? We had a neighbor across the street that had a mature practice, and we had just been casual friends and neighbors, and she had persuaded me to join her, so I did. Uh, initially, just as her assistant, and then they quickly stood me up as my own law practice. Then Patty came along, and we ended up buying their building and their practice, and, and they retired. The transition, though, was pretty interesting because um, the woman that I worked for did nothing but high-end, high-dollar divorce work. Okay, which is only a small 
segment of all family law, okay? She, she trained me very, very well and thoroughly in her area of that, and then retired. When she trained me, she would not allow me to do criminal law or anything outside of her area, uh, which was fine. I learned a lot from her, nice lady. But then when she left, I discovered there were areas in family law that she didn't touch that I didn't have much experience in. I got my nose bloodied a few times and learned and then stopped sending away criminal work. And the practice kind of expanded from there. And Patty joined me fairly quickly in 2009. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so 2020, you've been in business nine years, 10 years? 12 years. Uh, 12? Uh, 12 years. Yep. 12, 12 years now. Mm-hmm. So owning a business, starting a business, you assume a level of risk, but you weren't, you weren't starting from scratch. Y- yes and no. You know, we're lawyers and everybody says, oh, you're lawyers. Well, yeah, there are lawyers that work in the public defender's office, in the DA's office. They work for large law firms, but we're a smaller operation, or at least we started that way. So we're lawyers and business people. We inherited and bought an office, a physical space, mostly with everything in it. But we had to redesign things, update things. I would say that this practice is maybe 40% what it was when we came in. Is that fair, Patty? I'm not sure it's even that much. You think it's changed that much? Yeah. yeah. You know, when we when we took over this practice, you know, and, and you talk about the risk and the uncertainty, and that's like part of the stress in dealing with that. Because what we assumed with that is the overhead. Of having a building. And we had two staff back then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we, looking back and we tell attorneys that are going out on their own to start small and keep your overhead low, you know, as long as you can. And we we didn't do that. (laughs) No, I tell people all the time when they're starting off, I said, there's no shame in starting from your living room, renting a conference room. Keep your overhead low. Mm-hmm. gives you a lot of flexibility. I, I think when we started this practice, I don't know, it was, I think our overhead was like, I think $16,000 a yep. month. And I used to say, you know, I have to make $16,000 before I can take a $1 home mm-hmm. every single month. And that used to just scare me to death. I've gotten over that because it's several multiples of that. Now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I know you as you guys practice family law, you do some work with veterans. That's how I met you. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys were going back and forth about whether or not the the share of business had changed yeah. you know, 40%. What are the areas of law you practice today? So now, these days, we practice family law. That's still probably our primary area of practice. We also do criminal defense, and then we also do military law. The mm-hmm. military law is actually quite broad. I mean, it can be court-martial defense, which we have a significant yep. presence in now, administrative hearings within the military, as well as you know, t- thinking of administrative hearings being like administrative separation boards, as well as administrative processes such as discharge review boards or boards for correction military records. We've done some security clearance appeals. Yeah, and, and we continue to grow. I mean, you want to take it back to its genesis. The beginning was I worked for Kathy, who trained me in high-dollar divorce. And one day, somebody referred a case to me who was it was an Army colonel who needed a divorce and Kathy, and Kathy said, oh, we're not taking that. Military divorce is highly specialized. There's a lot of problems. Let's send it to this guy in Macon, who today is still our only real competition in the state of Georgia. And I, I looked at her and I said, well, wait a second. People expect me to know this because I'm in the reserves. I'm in the military. So I studied this one case and fumbled through it, frankly, and then fumbled through probably about four or five more after that. And then it became more natural. And then there was another guy here in town, uh, Stephen, a uh, defense, criminal defense attorney I'd known in the DA's office. He had a client, a potential client that called him and what the guy actually needed was a 
representation in a military administrative misconduct hearing. And uh, Stephen says, I, I do felony work in the state courts. I have no idea. So he sent it to me and I fumbled through it and figured it out. And I've probably done about 80 of those so far now as a private attorney. So, you know, it's really funny how things find you. And, you know, we started with Patty I and two staff, and now we have 10 lawyers and five staff. We started with this office and now we're about to move out of it to a bigger office. So, you know, that's just been the evolution in the last 12 years. Mm -hmm. It's probably worth mentioning at the same time all of this is happening, you're still serving in the Georgia National Guard, Army National Guard. Well, I served in the Army Reserves as a JAG officer. After I graduated from law school, I went into the Army Reserve as a JAG officer and worked for a really, really great guy who's a Fulton County judge here in town now. Worked for him for about four years, had some other assignments, and then I was asked to transfer to the Alabama National Guard with some uh, by some friends of mine over there. So I did that, and I, and I served in the Alabama National Guard up until I retired in 2018. Okay, very good. So let's start to bring this towards a close. Yes, sir. Um, and asking about how you think your military experience has helped you in business and in law. Okay. I'm going to start with law. We tell our associates this all the time, particularly when you're dealing with judges. Because our experience, particularly being military intelligence, we did a lot of staff officer time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're used to briefing the generals and talking to the generals. And, and so we always take their approach when we go to court. The judge is like the general. Mm-hmm. And you treat the judge like the general. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there is, we once had a judge complain to one of our staff that, that we're too militaristic when we're on court. We're too stiff. But it, I think that goes to our military background mm-hmm. and, you know, the respect for the position and the structure of it and the stuff like, you know, you never show up to court late. You always show up appropriately dressed. I mean, yeah. it's all very military. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of preparation that goes into things. The military teaches you that. And that's how we we have brought that to our practice of law. So, you know, I frequently tell our attorneys here, you know, have you researched the law? Have you looked at the cases? Let me see what you've prepared. I I despise going to court and seeing unprepared attorneys. Mm -hmm. I think it's a horrible thing. So that's one of the things that we brought to the practice of law. And I could elaborate on that at great detail, but that's the short answer. For a soldier or sailor or airman on active duty, thinking about a career in law, you know, they're pre-law, what advice would you offer them? I'll let you go first this time. Well, you know, just because you're in the military doesn't mean that you're predisposed or any better at the practice of law than anyone else. I mean, it's a, it's a personal decision. I would tell anyone in the military that their time and service will be of great benefit. I'm going to get in trouble with other lawyers that, that listen to this, but your average lawyer was an above average student from high school to college to law school, and then boom, they're a lawyer. They're 25 years old, and they probably haven't really done much in life. Anyone who's been in the military has a leg up, in my opinion, because they've, they've gone out and they've sweated. They've been in difficult situations. They have some life experience. I'm a little, I guess, judgmental and prejudiced about lawyers that don't have any life experience outside the law. Now, I have to be careful since I, I have some of those on my staff. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're not going to be a great lawyer, but I, I definitely have a place in my heart for people that did something else before they became lawyers. There experience is, helps. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Life experience sure. does help you in the practice of law, in my opinion. That's yeah. probably true in every profession. So you're not singling out lawyers. No, I can't single out lawyers. I mean, I think it's true everywhere. But if you can relate better to your clients, I think you're going to serve them better. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Anything to add, Patty? On the business side... I think the planning aspect and the, and the, the management and structure aspect of it yeah. from the military, you know, looking at it. And I think 
some of my attorneys make fun of me, but, you know, we sit down and we have planning meetings. You know, where are we going to be in a year? Where are we going to be in three to five years? You know, where are we going to be 10 years? And that's certainly a throwback to the military. Those predictions are never accurate, but they at least get you thinking about what sure. Right. Yeah, and I mean, that's true in the military, too. They, they, they lay plans down and it goes out the window the next month, right? Sure. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Division comes down with some new request <laughs> and you're off, you're off to the races. That's right. That's right. What about for somebody that's serving in the JAG Corps? Goes to law school, mm-hmm. gets in the military, it's a JAG officer, or perhaps a you know a paralegal in the military is thinking about leaving the service. Mm-hmm. Would your advice change? Do you have different advice for them? No, not at all. I think private industry really values attorneys that um, that start off in the JAG Corps. I caution JAG attorneys a lot of times, though. They think because they've had great success in the military that that success is going to be instantly respected when they leave. No, you have to leave and learn learn new things. And, you know, I warn them about that. But it's great experience. Absolutely great experience. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Patty? No? No, no. I'll have to defer to Steve because I was not a JAG. Mm-hmm. So if we, um, if we flip this around and look at this from the hiring manager's perspective, in this case, law firm, law firm partners, mm-hmm. whether they're looking at associates or paralegal, office staff for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. The business of law has sure. really exploded in the last 10 years or so. What advice would you offer them about hiring staffs or staff or attorneys with military service? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think country and private industry have realized that young people coming out of the military have great experience. Uh, I mean, they're highly screened. They almost never have criminal records. They They've met a lot of stringent standards. I think hiring someone with military experience is a great benefit. Absolutely. We've done it. Yeah, yeah, and I think military experience is a bonus when you see that on a resume. Because there's a certain expectation of, and this sounds terrible, but it is true. There's an expectation of, okay, they are going to show up to work. They're going to show up to work on time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also there all, there's already kind of this fundamental basic right. expectation that you have with somebody that has a military background. Mm-hmm. True. Excellent. Well, that's about all I have. Is there anything that you guys would add to this? Anything you want to add, Patty? You get the last word. I know. Oh, my gosh. And I usually would take advantage of this, and, and I'm, I have nothing. Nothing. I say go Army or anything like that. Go Army, beat Navy. Yeah. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you for your service. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experiences. We'll talk to you again soon. Well, thanks thanks for having us. We enjoyed it. Thanks, Frank. Thank you for listening to the Boots About Business podcast. Please know you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you catch your podcast. And while you are there, won't you leave us a nice review? It'll help the show and in turn help other veterans. Finally, if you know someone that's a veteran in business or is an entrepreneur with a story to share, hit us up using the contact form on the show's website. That's bootsaboutbusiness.com. That's all one word, bootsaboutbusiness.com. Until next time, I am your host, Frank Strong, out here.